You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. This evening's reading comes from John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd." For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon, or is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Father, we are thankful for your word, and now, O Spirit, we pray that you would lift our eyes to Jesus, pray that we might see him clearly for who he is in in your word and presently in our lives, for his sake and for our good. Amen. may be seated. This is a torch week, so Gail and Patrick will be leading the young ones like shepherds out of this room. If you're a fourth or fifth or sixth grader, uh, go ahead and If you want to join them for a discussion through John 10, we'll see you back here before the Lord's Supper. All right, well, chapter 10 of John. We are almost halfway through this book, but well over halfway through our sermon series. Like last week in chapter 9, many of the chapters will become more narrative uh, in their their storytelling, which will be a little bit easier to move quickly through like we did last week and taking one big chapter chunk Uh, But there are still some larger bits of teaching left, like we have here in chapter 10. So here's the plan. Because of uh, the second half of John 10 being an acceptable but perhaps an odd Easter Sunday sermon, uh, we're going to have a one-off week next week in Zechariah 12 on Easter Sunday. And then we'll be back to John chapter 10, the second half the following week. All right, so we've talked quite a bit over the past few weeks about denying yourself, about for the sake of Christ, following him uh, as a skilled mountain guide, right? Even when the road that he 
is leading us toward and on. It appears to be a difficult road. It appears to be a road that we wouldn't pick or choose for ourselves, but for the sake of Christ, following him. But while we've talked about joy, not just eternal joy at the end of the road, but joy on the road following the present light of Christ, Jesus is going to get after it here in chapter 10. He's going to be answering some implied questions that we might have had in the nine chapters preceding this one. Who is he? Who are the ones that are to follow him and that do follow him on this road? What does following him mean for the present and the future? Is it worth it? And can he keep his promises? He'll answer all these questions using a word picture of sheep and of a shepherd. So we'll think through these questions tonight under three headings from John chapter 10. The voice of the shepherd, the leading of the shepherd, and the love of the shepherd. So first of all, the voice of the shepherd. So remember where we are contextually. Last week in chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man, and then this man, both before and after, physically and spiritually, can see more clearly than the Jewish leaders. The man and the people, they come to the Pharisees to ask, ask them for clarity, to help them understand what it is that Jesus had just, what, what he had done. And we, we know, and the man comes to know, that God has revealed himself to Israel. God has shown himself. He is showing his grace and his compassion to the people. And yet its leaders are leading the people further and further away from God. In fact, they even want to kill him. So in affirming who he is and in denouncing these false leaders from chapter 9, Jesus says in verse 1 of chapter 10, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who, do, who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. What Jesus is doing here right off the bat is entering the long line of Israel's prophets who denounce Israel's uh, false leaders by claiming that they're false shepherds. This is a common motif all throughout the Old Testament. And perhaps most pointedly, Ezekiel speaks for God. In Ezekiel 34, the prophet says, uh, the word of the Lord came to, him, came to him and he says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because they were with no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. So while claiming to be shepherds, these leaders actually just are using the sheep for their own benefit. They're using them. They're even attacking and injuring them for their own selfish benefit. Now before we get too deep into the wool here of the sheep or out way out in the fields. We are 
urban 21st century Americans, right? So a lot of what Jesus is talking about here in chapter 10, I'm afraid can just be lost or just go right over our heads in the same way that like I could paint a picture for you about driving a car and like speeds and changing lanes or perhaps even like doing routine maintenance like getting your oil changed or something. I could give you an analogy or an illustration about changing your oil. Well, in the same way, this would be true about first century Jews and sheep, but just as they wouldn't have any idea about oil changes, we don't have the familiarity that they do with sheep. If you've been around many churches for a number of years, you've undoubtedly heard a handful of sermons or two about sheep. And this is not entirely unexpected, right? Because Jesus talks about sheep a lot. It is a theme that goes throughout the entirety of the Bible over and over and over again. Sheep are one of the dumbest animals on the entire planet. I'm, I think I'm, if, if it weren't for like a human commitment to see to their well-being for their good meat and their useful wool, they would undoubtedly go extinct. They're utterly defenseless. Their only daily reason for living is to eat and to drink. But unlike other animals who, often, or who also share that purpose of just eating and drinking today, sheep on their own cannot find grass and water. Most Jews of the day would have regular, if not daily and ongoing interactions with sheep. They observed them. They understood them. They were well acquainted with how dumb they were. And they would immediately understand the kind of corral that Jesus is talking about here. The kind of sheepfold that he's talking about. A rural shepherd could have some sort of a corral way out in the fields, built out of stone or rock with one small entrance. But what Jesus seems to be describing here is more of an urban or at least a small village sheepfold. A shared communal corral. Because there's a gatekeeper in verse 3. This guy likely owns the corral, and then multiple shepherds, they like rent space from him. They'll get their flocks out in the morning, take the sheep out to graze, and bring them back into the corral in the evening. And while sheep can be immensely dense, what's pretty amazing about them is that they know and respond to the shepherd's voice. I read a story this week about a Palestinian uprising in Israel in the 1980s, and uh, the Israeli army decided to punish a village near Bethlehem for not paying their taxes. So the army came in and like took up all of the livestock in Bethlehem or around this village, around the village, uh, in the surrounding areas. They put all of the livestock in this gigantic barbed wire pen. There, at the end of the week, there was a widow who her husband had been killed earlier in the week, and she comes to this Israeli soldier, and she says, my sheep, my husband's sheep, are the only place of livelihood left for my family. Can we please, would you please show mercy and let us have the sheep that belong to us? And he like scoffed and said, as if there was any way to identify your sheep amongst the hundreds, if not thousands, of other livestock that are in this pen. And she convinced him. She said, if... I can show you and prove to you that these sheep are my sheep. Will you let us have them? And he said, very well. So the soldier opens the pen and her son produces this wooden flute and he plays this song, this little melody that his now dead father played every day out in the fields with these sheep and 25 downward uh, sheep heads perked up 
when they heard the melody and they all just trotted towards the gate and they left and they walked away. They followed this sound. Shepherds would have either had a tune like this that they played constantly throughout the day or as Jesus is describing here, the shepherd would just be out with his flock all day long, walking in and amongst them, talking to them. Like, if you just observed this guy, it'd be pretty weird, right? Like, this is, these are his only friends. Uh, but he's doing this intentionally. He's speaking to them so that they know his voice, they hear his voice, so that when he speaks to them, they respond. So that almost instinctually, when you hear the melody or when you hear the voice, you think grass, you think water. He's leading me to what's good. I trust this voice. And this is the scene that Jesus is painting here. Jesus being the good shepherd. Not one of the the false shepherds that is leading the people away from God. Not one who needs to jump the fence because he has ill intentions to harm the sheep. He comes just right to the gate. The gatekeeper knows him. He opens the gate for him and he speaks to the sheep and they hear him. They respond. The ones that are not his, the many others in the pen that aren't his, they just, they, they might perk their head up. They might just keep chewing their cud and look at this shepherd standing there at the gate talking and making some noise, but they have no inclination to follow him. It's just noise. There's just a random guy there speaking. There's no reason to follow him. But those who do hear him, they hear his voice in recognition, in trust, and then in action. And consequently, it doesn't matter what other shepherd is out there trying to vie for attention. Perhaps another shepherd comes to the gate, or perhaps the, other sh- the, the real shepherd is leading his flocks, and there are other shepherds telling the sheep to come. No. If the, uh, there's, there's a blind man here, right, in chapter 9, who is being beckoned and urged by other false shepherds, beckoning him to leave. Uh, his parents have urged him to leave. The Pharisees have urged him to leave. These other false shepherds saying, don't follow that shepherd. But he follows. He follows. But the good shepherd's sheep, they hear and know his voice. Which, by the way, how do we hear and know Jesus' voice today? Unlike, I think, a very popular common devotional uh, which is used to say that you can hear Jesus' voice speaking you today, to you today and perhaps uh, just, just, just listen a little bit. And you might hear his uh, urging voice. Here's the deal. The most clear way to hear Jesus' voice is by his word. What more does he have to say to you than he has already said? His word to you and how many of us expect to hear and follow the shepherd without listening to him, without knowing his voice, without knowing when it is that he's speaking to us so that we might hear and respond. Not reading his voice to us throughout the whole of the scriptures. It's just beyond me to think that we might be able to hear and follow him. False shepherds are out there every day. So Christians know him through his word. Keep seeking him. Become accustomed to hearing his word. His word being hidden in your heart so that the voice of the shepherd leads you throughout the day. But verse 6 tells us that the people don't understand what he's talking about. This whole good shepherd, voice, sheep thing. They don't quite understand. The figure of speech that John describes is similar to what the other gospel writers called parables. And the people that are hearing just don't get it. 
So perhaps to get them to understand, Jesus then resets and he tries a different metaphor. Okay, you're not getting this one. Let's try another one with the same word picture, which is now getting us to our second point. The shepherd speaks and he calls the sheep, the voice of the shepherd, but then he also keeps them. The protection of the shepherd. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. It's possible that Jesus just said that he was the inanimate swinging gate through which sheep leave and come through into the gate. This wouldn't be the first time that he's called himself an inanimate object, right? He said that he was the bread from heaven. He said he was the light of the world. But many commentators think, though, that what he's saying is that he is the shepherd that sits at the gate. Now we have moved from the communal uh, village corral out to a rural corral out there, meaning there wasn't an actual swinging wooden door for the sheep to walk through. But now if it's a, it's a rock corral, a wall built up of rocks and covered with brambles and briars to keep uh, other animals from climbing over the wall, now there's just a small opening in the rock for the sheep to walk through. And the shepherd, being a good shepherd, just sits there all night long making sure no one comes in and no sheep walks out without him knowing it. There's certainly a sense in which Jesus is saying that you cannot be part of the flock of God unless you come through him. And that can ruffle our modern, modern feathers. We don't like what sounds to be like such exclusionary language. So we think, wait, 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 there's only one door? Well, if we've tracked through the story of the Bible and through the miserable story of humanity, we ought to be floored when we think, wait, there's a door? There's a way to be part of God's people? So while that's certainly true, you don't become part of the flock unless you come through him, and Jesus will have plenty more to say about that in chapter 14, what seems to be more in play here is the protection of his flock. Not one of his flock will ever get away from his protection. He doesn't leave the door wide open for the sheep to scatter. And not one of his sheep will be left vulnerable to attack or from harm from intruders. All of those intruders out there, they just want to come in and steal and kill and destroy, but not the good shepherd. And we'll talk more about this in two weeks, as Jesus says in the second half of chapter 10, that not one sheep in his hand will be snatched away. But I think our lazy tendency can be to think that, man, man, it's a good thing that I heard Jesus's voice that one time and I responded in following him. I haven't been perhaps very close to him lately, but thank God there aren't Jewish leaders out there today who are trying to persuade me out of following Jesus. Or yeah, there are lots of other religious leaders out there or perhaps even friends of mine uh, there are perhaps uh, Muslims, Buddhists, there are Hindus and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, and perhaps these are my friends, perhaps I've read a book, perhaps I've talked to someone at my door, and these kinds of conversations can be persuasive, but pr praise God that I've followed Christ, that I have not left him for another shepherd. Or, or yeah, even I know that like Facebook and TV and the Christian bookstore are just full of supposed Christian uh, teachers out there who are in reality just hucksters uh, trying to 
convince you of health and wealth and your best life now. But praise the Lord that I have not followed one of these other shepherds. But man, well, many of us may not get to the point where we have this fork in the road moment of whether I will follow the good shepherd or follow another religious shepherd out there or no religious shepherd at all. Perhaps you've may never come to a moment like this. For many of us, we have had moments like this, times and seasons where that certainly was a consideration. But how many other false shepherds are there out there? Not just the religious, supposedly so-called religious voices, but whom do you follow? Where do you go for security when you feel a sense of loss or danger in your life? Whose voices out there do we all tend to perk up to, to listen to, to follow? The shepherds of busyness and achievement, that I won't have any security unless the next promotion is well in line. The shepherds of romantic fulfillment, that I cannot be happy or secure unless he or she begins to notice me, or I become married, or we have children. The shepherds and voices of physical fitness and attractiveness, that I cannot be secure until enough people begin to notice me. And how often does the subconscious American shepherd call to us that the highest good for your life is your personal happiness? The, the highest good in this world is your personal comfort. The highest good is your privacy and for you to be able to do whatever you want. I may not be tempted to become a Mormon, but that shepherd is a very loud tempting and persuasive voice in my life, teaching me that life on my own, apart from the good shepherd, is more satisfying, is safer, is better. And that is just a lie that is meant to kill me. It's a lie from a bad, false shepherd. Verse 10, Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal, to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So perhaps you're thinking, all right, yeah, I get that. I, I get that there are these other shepherds' voices that I need to just try to drown out, try to follow the shepherd. But if I'm honest, I've been following the shepherd for many years. And this is a verse that I may have memorized when I was in like fourth grade. But I don't think I've really ever experienced the kind of abundant life that Jesus is promising here. I don't get it. Well, I think we're certainly setting ourselves up for failure and disappointment if we assume that the kind of abundant life that Jesus is promising here is just personal happiness. That is, the circumstances of my life just keep getting better and better, and consequently, I just keep walking around like every minute of every day of my life in like this Hillsong-induced crying laughter, right? It's just great. Life is just great. I'm so happy all the time. I don't think that's what Jesus is promising. While our happiness may not be an incremental increase, true life in Christ actually does bring an incremental increase in joy Joy, which is a steady, fixed, committed 
joy, not just an emotion, but a hope in that what Jesus has promised will actually be. That even though the circumstances of my life change, even many long seasons of circumstances that are sad, that are times of struggle and pain and even immense sorrow, the kind of abundant life that Jesus promises is still available because of joy, because of what he has promised and who he is. Why? Because knowing that Jesus, like a shepherd, is leading me. Rather than trusting him as the Psalm 23 good shepherd that we heard from our call to worship though this evening, we tend towards not wanting to follow him, not wanting to trust him in his leading of us toward joy, but instead wanting and moving towards independence and isolation. David Pallison writes that more often we live our lives under the anti-Psalm 23. Not the Psalm 23 that we heard read earlier, but the anti-Psalm 23, which goes a little something like this. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing is quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist, I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road, but I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. I'm alone. Facing everything that could hurt me alone. And I'm so much all about me, sometimes it's sickening, but I belong to no one else except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free-falling into void? It's a living death and then I die. That's pretty miserable, isn't it? And yet, isn't that more typically of our lives the way that we tend toward thinking? If we are not being renewed in our minds by the voice of the shepherd, by the power of his word, that is certainly our more natural tendency. But if Jesus is actually a shepherd, listen now again to Psalm 23. You heard at the beginning of this service, but listen again and consider, consider that it's David who's writing this. This is a man who was often alone, whose only friends were the sheep for many years of his life. And then he went for many years of his life, even as a king, alone. He was often hunted. He was on the run. It looked like God had perhaps left him. He was a miserable sinner, failing in spectacular ways. More spectacular than any way that I'm sure any of us have. His own family turned against him. His own son tried to kill him. He struggled with whether or not God was even there, with whether God was listening, or with whether God would ever act. And yet, this man can write, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Reread that this week. Reread that a whole lot this week. Make that the more... uh, quick tendency of your thoughts, your desires, and your hopes, rather than the anti-Psalm 23, and see what kind of abundant life is waiting for you. Abundant life that though he leads his sheep, sometimes, sometimes with a correcting and disciplining rod, David can say, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And though he leads his sheep through the valley of the shadow of death, Roads that look dark and treacherous. Roads that feel like death. He leads them to a place of rich and abundant life. Places that are actually green. That are quiet and restorative. Places of the deepest joy possible because it's the place of dwelling with God. All right. You might think, perhaps I can buy that. There's a problem though. There's a problem. Very often I don't hear the shepherd's voice. Very often what I've just heard from Psalm 23 isn't the heartbeat of my soul. I don't hear his voice, and when I do, I don't instinctually respond in following and in joy. And I'm very often distracted and led away by other shepherds out there. What does this mean? What does this mean for my life? Am I Therefore, not following the shepherd? Am I therefore not part of his flock? Am I not his sheep? Well, I want to be real blunt. Maybe. The answer to that, maybe, maybe. Maybe when you hear Jesus' call to follow him, you haven't. And maybe you need to. Maybe you need to hear his call to repentance, his call to living only for yourself and for your own desires for what you think is joy apart from him. Maybe you hear his call to repentance and you rankle a bit. Perhaps not all the way, perhaps not saying I would never follow him, but perhaps thinking, but yeah, there are certain parts of my life that are off limits. You, Jesus, you, no one even is allowed to speak into that part of my life. So, no, I'm not really down for following you. So, if that's the case, then yeah, maybe. Maybe you are not part of his flock. So, instead of defensively grabbing the blindfold like the leaders last week or assuming that you've been following him when you've never really been following him, you've refused to listen to him and following him in obedience, would you just consider how your life is going out there apart from the shepherd? Would you consider his voice, his, lo- his voice of love and protection, and respond? Perhaps for the very first time tonight, that you would hear his voice calling you to follow him as one of his beloved and protected sheep. 
perhaps you would consider that we are all profoundly unsafe in our sins, apart from him, out there on our own. So come to him, come through him as the way in to being part of his flock. Come to him tonight. But, but, for many others of us, perhaps we have been following him, but not very well. But remember, there's a reason why God uses sheep as the animal to most quickly compare us to. They are dumb, they are dense, and they are without foresight. Prone to wander off right into danger and death. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The good news is, it's not the sheep's love of the shepherd that makes them part of the flock. It's the shepherd's love for the sheep. Which gets us to our last point. We've considered the voice of the shepherd and the protection of the shepherd. But now, lastly, let's consider that he speaks and protects them, not just for a paycheck like a hired worker does, but because he loves them. He loves them, the love of the shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, that we read from earlier about the false shepherds, God goes on to say, after he condemns the false shepherds of Israel, God makes promises to Israel that he says he will be their shepherd. He will bind them and heal them and seek after them and save them. But then strangely, later on in the chapter, still in Ezekiel 34, he says this, And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. Now, first of all, this is many hundreds of years after David lived. So I don't think Ezekiel's foreseeing a time where David comes back to life to lead Israel. But first of all, what's going on here is that God, what I told you a second ago, God himself promised to be their shepherd. I will be their shepherd. I will seek them. I will save them. But then he says, I will set up one shepherd and it shall be David. Now how's this? How is God going to be Israel's shepherd and yet David will be the shepherd? Well, maybe Ezekiel is looking forward to a coming David-like shepherd, a king like David, who will be both God and man, who will, like a shepherd, be their God and their leader. And then going on in Ezekiel 34, that through this God-man shepherd, God will establish a new covenant of peace. Of peace. How? Verse 11 of John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Or verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. If the sheep were always next to him, were always nearby the shepherd, were always following him, right by him, always listening and responding, always trusting him and him alone for protection, for care, for abundance, and for joy, then there'd be no need for a shepherd to go out and find them, to keep them, and certainly no need for the shepherd to die for them. But he does, and he does so willingly. And this is the plan all along. And this is where all of this story has been going throughout the Bible. And this is where the story has been going in the Gospel of John. There have been a few references to Jesus' death 
in the Gospel of John so far. We've seen them, but they've all been kind of cryptic, and all of these could be taken a number of different ways. So John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God, perhaps a sacrifice. Jesus said that he was the temple of God that would be destroyed and then raised again. He talked about his flesh and blood. He's talked several times about being lifted up, which we know on this side of the cross, meaning his lifted up being on the cross. But now, Jesus is telling everyone very explicitly the plan of God to save the sheep, and it's always been the plan. He's not some misunderstood martyr who couldn't keep his mouth shut. He is the God-man shepherd who has come to live and die for the sheep. No one takes his life from him. Only he has the authority to lay it down so that he may take it back up again. Jesus is not just some example of love that we are meant to emulate, some model for us. Like if we could just all observe Jesus' life and then just become a little bit more sacrificial in our love for humanity, then the world would be a better place or something. No, that's ridiculous. That's like as if like the flock was pinned up next to a cliff and then like a bear was approaching the flock and then Jesus says, all right, sheep, let me show you how much I love you. And then he just runs and he jumps off the cliff. And he's like, this is how much I love you. Like, that's, that actually doesn't do anything for the sheep. He's not showing that he loves them. Why? Because he's left them alone. They're all going to get eaten by the bear. This is not just some model of love for us. No, Jesus walks headlong into the jaws of death so that the sheep might live. But he doesn't stay dead. He's He raises them to new life now so that he can continue to lead the sheep into the new life that he has bought for them. He didn't willingly go to the cross with just the hopes that someday somebody out there might come to believe in him. Someday, perhaps, if God's story of grace and love becomes compelling enough for someone out there that their sins might be forgiven. No, Jesus laid his life down for the sheep. He willingly went to the cross to accomplish your salvation, Christian. That despite your daily waywardness, you might still be part of his flock. That despite your daily temptation to listen to other shepherds, he will hold you fast. Why? Because of what Clint read earlier from Isaiah 53, that all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned every one to its own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, the shepherd's death for the sheep's life. And not just for Israel, but verse 16 of John 10, that he also has sheep that are outside of the fold of Israel, that he'll live and die for these sheep as well. And he'll call them by name and create a new covenant flock where there's now no distinction between the Jew sheep and the Gentile sheep. They're all just my sheep. This is what he's coming to do. And then today, being Palm Sunday, here's the most amazing part. He's not just a shepherd leading the sheep. He has become a sheep for us. He identifies with us as a sheep. And as Jesus rides in on a donkey on Passover, it's as if he's coming in as king, but it's as if he is riding in as all of the families of Israel are out there trying to find a spotless, blemish-free sheep to sacrifice for Passover. Jesus is riding in 
as a king on a donkey, but as a lamb riding in on a donkey saying, I'm here. Pick me. I am the spotless lamb of God. Trust me for the forgiveness of your sins. So here's the payoff, Christian. If you're hearing him, if you are following him, even imperfectly and with regular stumbling, you're doing so because he's called you by name. Because you have heard his voice and you're following him, that from eternity past he has known you, he has called you, he has loved you, he has saved you, and even now is leading you towards more and more and more joy in himself. I recently read that our forgiveness is not some legal technicality buried in the heavenly documents obligating a reluctant God. It is the present wish and joy of an affectionate father, the, per, the present interest of an interceding Christ, and the present ministry of an indwelling spirit. Do you tend toward that kind of thinking? That your forgiveness, your salvation, is just, you got off on some legal technicality that's kind of buried away, hidden away in the heavenly documents, just out there to appease some reluctant God who didn't really want to forgive you in the first place. This is not the gospel. This is not the gospel. Christian, if God has known you and called you, he has known you from the very creation of the world. If your future sins were, that weren't even committed yet uh, that they might now be able to be paid for by the cross of Christ. That Jesus would die for his sheep. That he has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That he has miraculously healed you and given you sight that you might actually and clearly see Jesus. And if all that's true, then stop wallowing in doubt. Stop wallowing in self-loathing and in hopelessness. He has known you, he has called you, and he is leading you. Jesus is alive. He has laid his life down, but he has the authority to take it back up. And if he is alive, and you are united in him, then you are alive. Now respond in joy, ever and increasing. Perhaps not the abundant joy that you will experience 10 years from now. Perhaps not the amount of abundant joy that you will experience 50 years from now. And certainly not the amount of abundant joy that we will all experience together 50 trillion years from now. But this is where Jesus, the good shepherd, is leading us. Now follow him, enjoy, and live. Let me ask for his help now in leading us. Lord Jesus, like a shepherd, we pray that you would lead us. Father, we are thankful that you have known us, that you have called us. What great, great humility this causes. Why, Lord, why would you save wayward sheep such as we? We don't have an answer. We do not have an answer why you would save us, why you would forgive us, why you would pursue us, love us, and call us your own. But you have what amazing grace. 
Father, help, me, help us to know this grace. Help, us to, help it to get deeper and deeper down into every nook and cranny of our lives. So that with every false shepherd out there vying for our attention, making promises to us to get our ears to uh, tickle and to want to follow them, Father, help us to know the voice of the Good Shepherd. Help us to follow him so closely and nearly with such trust, with such joy, affection, and love, and in hope. The idea of turning and following another just seems stupid, just seems nonsense. Why would we do that? The Good Shepherd is the one leading us. Father, help us, we pray. Make us a flock that loves one another, that follows the Good Shepherd even more closely. We pray for all of these things for Christ's sake and our good. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com. Thank you.